The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James, described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. And just a note that I'm rebroadcasting this incredible look into the process behind not only how a writer gets paid to ghostwrite a title for a celebrity, but also the writing, research, and indie publishing of a book that sat on top of the Amazon charts for over a year. Did it finally beat Michelle Obama's competing bestseller? Stay tuned to find out. We had to get special permission from the incredible human and author David Goggins to share this story. But it's no secret that the book was co-written by my good friend Adam Skolnick. Adam is an award-winning independent journalist and author covering adventure sports, environmental issues, and civil rights for outlets such as New York Times, Outside, ESPN, BBC, and Men's Health, among many others. He's also the author of One Breath and was the narrator of David Goggins' best-selling audiobook for Can't Hurt Me and co-hosts a rich role podcast on the Roll On Edition. Adam returns later this month the next installment of How to Ghostwrite a Bestseller to talk about his journey with David to their latest bestseller, Never Finished, Unshackle Your Mind and Win the War Within. And a huge thank you to Mr. Goggins. Stay tuned. To define ghostwriting, I mean, ghostwriting has been around since forever. Uh, You know, if you look at one of the most seminal books for me is the autobiography of Malcolm X. It was written with, by Malcolm X with Alex Haley. So for a long time, ghostwriters were credited that way. It was a with, usually their name was on the cover. It still can be that way. Yeah. But um, these days, it's not always that way. So whenever kind of a big name in business or a celebrity of some kind um, writes a book, almost always they have a ghostwriter. Michelle Obama's book was written by a team of ghostwriters, obviously with her <laughs> participation. No. But um, but that's a good example, right? So we'll come back it, to it, that example. Yeah, also. yeah, yeah. So uh, so it's just been happening forever, and but it's you know nobody really ever grows up to say, hey, I want to grow up to be a ghostwriter. Greetings, fellow scribes, and welcome back to The Writer Files. I'm still your host, Kelton Reed. I'll spare you the formalities this week because we're going to jump right into a special edition of the show we've traditionally called Writer Porn. Here we go. Adam Skolnick is a New York Times award-winning international journalist, author, returning serial pundit, 
and our own international correspondent. You can learn more about Adam and find his latest work at adamskolnick.com. And in this file, Adam and I discussed a definition of ghostwriting, how Adam got tapped to ghostwrite for author and endurance athlete David Goggins, why Goggins turned down a major book publishing deal and decided to self-publish with Adam still attached, the Joe Rogan effect for authors, how Adam made the decision to help write David's story and the unique research and drafting process that went into a bestseller. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. All right. Does my, does my mic still sound the same? You sound silky. Okay. Silky AF. (laughs) All right. We are back on the writer files. And I have to say that this is going to be an incredibly enlightening show for, for writers who are interested in this subject. Um, but yeah, we've traditionally called these, uh, meetings with Adam Skolnick writer porn because we, we tend to cover a lot of ground, but this is a, um, this is a really, really unique program because we're going to, we're going to kind of take a look behind the curtain at, you know, this, this ghostwriting process, but not only how <laughs> a writer, um, becomes a ghost writer, but, but in addition to that goes on to write a book for a celebrity from ideation to now, uh, an indie title that was, uh, really, I think at the top of the charts for most of 2019. And again, we're going to just start off with, um, a caveat that we had to get special permission, Adam and I, uh, from the incredible human and author David Goggins to share this story. So this is an exclusive with Adam, and it's no secret that the book was written by our good friend and uh, serial pundit, Bad Penny, Adam Skolnick. So Adam, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to rap with us about this uh, journey of yours. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. <laughs> that was a long-winded way of saying, I think we're really lucky to have Adam on. And um, yeah, again, a huge thank you to uh, Mr. Goggins, his spirit, generosity, and, and ethos. Um, do you say ethos or ethos? I say ethos, but I just generally assume I mispronounce most words. <laughs> Especially the Latin ones. <laughs> yes. Um but I think the British pronounce it more like ethos, and we yes. we, we tend to say ethos. I say ethos, yes. probably in yes. conversation. I'm just trying to sound smarter than, than normal. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about from ideation um, to you know how how Adam you became um, the writer uh, for this fantastic book and um, how it came to be that it was published through Lioncrest. Um, then yes. on into even the experimental new media formats that you and and um, David have uh, published now as an audiobook slash podcast, which I didn't even know was a thing until I found found this uh, fantastic uh, 
audiobook. So yeah, we're going to take a- Spoiler alert, I got lucky. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to take a glimpse behind the camouflage curtain, uh, so to speak. I like that. I like what you did there. Okay, cool. So the title of the book, just to kind of key you in on, on the, the secret here, is uh, Can't Hurt Me. Master Your Mind and Defy the Odds by author David Goggins. And, you know, it, it, it's billed as sharing his incredible life story and, again, kind of how he came to these fantastic realizations about, you know, kind of harnessing the powers of the human mind. And, and you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about eight, but before we talk about um, kind of what you've been up to recently, just kind of who, who, who David is and why this story is so unique. Yeah, I mean, when you kind of go through David's life story and you tick off all the things, you know, from from the beginning to to his accomplishments more recently, it it sounds impressive. Uh, I think that what what makes his story so unique and attractive to people and is almost like the in between stuff. But just hearing his basics, um, he grew up in an abusive household. Um, he and his mother had to uh, uh, basically run away from his abusive father when he was uh, just in first grade. In the end, he ended up in Indiana in a small town not far from where the national headquarters of the Ku Klux Klan is today. He endured all manner of bullying and racism and yeah. um, he had learning disorder and, and kind of made his way through school kind of just scraping by and uh, ended up in the Air Force. But you know, within a few years, four years, he was out of the Air Force. And by the time he was 24 years old, he was working the graveyard shift as an exterminator, uh, 100 pounds overweight and uh, feeling like it's complete failure. And he came home from from the shift, from the graveyard shift and was watching some Discovery Channel type show about the Navy SEALs. And uh, he, he saw them and he's like, God, th- those guys are the antithesis of what I've become. And he started just, you know, with basically kind of with very little hope, started calling around recruiters trying to see if he still could become a SEAL. Mm -hmm. And when they heard how big he was, most of them just laughed him off the phone. But he found one guy who gave him a shot and he ended up dropping 100 pounds in three months, um, becoming a Navy SEAL. But in order to become the Navy SEAL, he had to go through hell week three times, which never happens. He ends up becoming a SEAL, becoming an Army Ranger, training to become a Delta Force soldier, um, ends up having a great career in Special Forces, and along the way also becomes uh, a champion ultramarathoner, sets the record <laughs> for pull-ups in a 24-hour period, the world record. Um, so it's an incredible story of someone who is down and out, who basically should have been a statistic. One of the ch- titles is called I Should Have Been a Statistic, who, who makes something of himself. But like I said, all that sounds interesting. But what makes it riveting is just the way he tells the story, you know, how, how real it is even today for him, um, everything he survived. And, um, and he's just a magnificent storyteller. And it's, the story itself is, uh, you know, Rocky Balboa stuff, but in real life. So, yeah, uh, yeah so it caught fire. And he, you know, the, the, it's just it's just because it was a, was a runaway hit. And, uh, and it's also incredible because he walked away from a major publisher and was told that he wasn't going to sell it barely any copies and he ends up selling probably more maybe than he would have if he went through a a major publisher so it's pretty incredible that's right so so cliffhanger um we'll come back to that fascinating (laughs) development
So we're going to go back in time um, before we get to Goggins and how you all came together. Let's go back in time. So the last time we spoke, because Adam's a recurring guest, he's been on multiple times. We did um, 21 Productivity Hacks from 21 Prolific Writers. And of course, I'll link to that show. And that was a good two-parter. We went went through all 21, um, a lot of different uh, cool productivity things. And it's interesting that um, that kind of came back up in the audiobook as I was listening to you and David talk about, um, you know, the cult of busyness. And, and we've talked yeah. a lot about that. And that that's something that he talks about a lot, which is really mm. interesting. So, you know, because yeah. as we were talking about kind of how how prolific writers beat entropy daily, you know, how these, how these monumentally successful authors do it. It it, it occurred to me that a lot of what you all are talking about is very similar to kind of the mindset of these like incredibly successful people. Yeah. Well, I mean, mindset is really where he excels. And, and I think why people love it is because he's able to deliver information in a way that's even more understandable than maybe somebody who has been talking about these things for years and years and years um, in a more traditional kind of academic approach. Um, he has a way of making it real, you know, just because he, he backs it up with his own st- personal stories. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he he delivers information you might have heard in before, but in a, a really fresh way. I think that's why people like it. Yeah. I mean, okay, well, we'll talk about the book more. Um, kind of as we get closer to that piece. So the yeah. last time we spoke was, was you know, summer of 2018. And so you were working yeah. on the book, but you couldn't talk about it. We didn't have permission. You were in the midst of, you know, edits and, and the back and forth. Yeah. You know, and doing the writing and researching piece. So it was interesting because, um, of course, we didn't, you know, you didn't know and I didn't know, you know, what was going to happen. But so what happens is going all the way back to how you found yourself in that position, yeah. Um, yeah, let's talk about this very unique opportunity because, sure. you know, maybe if we could define what, what ghostwriting is, maybe for listeners who aren't necessarily familiar with this concept or even this profession, how you became a ghostwriter and then on to sure. how you, uh, of course, you know, uh, joined forces with this amazing, amazing person. Sure. Okay. So um, to define ghostwriting, I mean, ghostwriting has been around since forever. Uh, You know, if you look at one of the most seminal books for me is the autobiography of Malcolm X. It was written by Malcolm X with Alex Haley. So for a long time, ghostwriters were credited that way. It was a with, usually their name was on the cover. It still can be that way. But um, these days, it's not always that way. So whenever kind of a big name in business or a celebrity of some kind um, writes a book, almost always they have a ghostwriter. Michelle Obama's book was written by a team of ghostwriters, obviously with her <laughs> participation, no. but um, but that's a good example, right? So we'll come back it, to that it, example yeah, also. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so it's just been happening forever. And, but it's, you know, nobody really ever grows up to say, hey, I want to grow up to be a ghostwriter. Although there's people who've had successful careers doing it. It's like I said, it's been, it's been in the business since I think publishing began, I'm sure. Sure, sure. Uh, it can be a very lucrative career for yeah. some writers. Yeah. And for me, it was my agent, Bird Level, um, was bringing up opportunities. He had just moved to UTA uh, from a small firm. You know, he was a partner. And uh, and he's, you know, one of the 
attractive things he said to me was I could get you some ghostwriting deals. And I, and, and I, at first I was like kind of hesitant. It wasn't something that I was really that interested in. And, um, but then he said something like, you know, well, I've got a guy who's making a quarter of a million dollars a year doing this. Does that right. sound okay? And I was <laughs> like, at the time it sounded great since I was basically going broke. So, so I, I was open to it at that point. My wife was really open to it. She, she liked, <laughs> she liked that. Um, and so, uh, anyway, Fast forward to he brings up, you know, this opportunity with David Goggins. He'd met David and he put me together with David. Now, David, I'd heard him um, on a podcast with Rich Roll mm-hmm. uh, on the Rich Roll podcast, and which is was kind of a seminal interview. It's still Rich's number one downloaded podcast of all time. Yeah, it's a riveting interview. I sure. highly recommend it. Oh, and, and for listeners who might not be familiar with Rich Roll, uh, he has recently been called the... Oprah of endurance sports, sports right? Yes, yes. And so he's he's got this big brand, and of course, uh, David was an ultra marathoner, and so they knew each other that way. You've also been on that show, correct? I have, yeah, 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 yeah. Rich has become a friend, and um, he's he's tremendous in his own right. Anyway, so that podcast, I had listened to that podcast uh, many months before uh, Bird suggested David, and I would, uh, you know, I'd already kind of adopted, you know. Goggins it. It became this something in my lexicon. Got to goggins it when you didn't want to do something, or you're feeling tired, or you had to keep going when you didn't want to. You got to goggins it. That was something that hmm. uh, April and I would talk to each other about. So it was already kind of in our brains. So I knew David's story in broad strokes, um, and so that you know we had a couple of conversations, and uh, he decided to contract me to write a book proposal for him with the with the option going forward, a mutual option to write the book if everything was going well. So we wrote a book proposal and, you know, for readers who aren't familiar, a lot of nonfiction books are sold to publishers in proposal form, which are kind of like annotated outlines. They're like 30 to 50 page documents. I mean, they could be less even these days, but uh, around that 30 to 50 pages, they might have a sample chapter. They might just have chapter outlines, bios, kind of what what the marketplace might be for the book, kind of basically making an argument. It's like a business plan for a book. And uh, and so we did that, went out to publishers. He got, a, uh, he got several offers, um, settled on one with Harper One. It looked like we were going to go that way. And then um, at the last minute, kind of not the last minute, but before he signed the contract, um, I think the contract had come in. And he was considering it and he, he didn't want to sell his story. He felt like he wanted to own his story. Um, you know, kind of it, he was always going along with the book process because that was the process everyone does to get their books sold. Um, but, but he, uh, you know, he was having second thoughts because mm-hmm. his story means so much to him. Um, you know, he'd been telling it on a variety of podcasts ever since Rich's podcast broke. He right. went through other podcasts and then eventually ended up on the Joe Rogan podcast, which blew up mm-hmm. like crazy, blew his name up. Right. And, so we'll, we'll uh, just say the Joe Rogan effect. The Joe um, Rogan effect is real. I mean, when I met him, well, when I spoke with him on the phone for the first time, he was like 85,000 followers on Instagram, which is still quite a bit. By the time uh, the Joe Rogan podcast effect had had completely taken hold, he was about 600,000. 
So that really blew his name up. Anyway, he would, but, but what made him want to walk away from Harper One was just ownership, um, which is his thing. You know, he wanted to own it. He wanted to own his book. And he, he always told me, I, I don't care if I sell five copies as long as we get to do my story the way I want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was warned. He was warned by everyone, agents, publishers, whoever, that he was making the wrong decision. He was even warned by me. <laughs> I suggested <laughs> I let the record show. I told him uh, that I would take the book deal, that I wouldn't want to come out of pocket to publish a book. But he'd, you know, he decided that he was re- ready to do that. So, um, and then he did something for me that no one has ever done before in this entire business. He paid me what I would have made on the Harper deal. He paid me my fee upfront, hundred percent upfront. Wow. And. Uh, you know, because that showed incredible faith in me, but also, you know, it, obviously I was involved. I had already said I was in on the project no matter what, because once you get to know David's story, um, it's, you know, it's not a story that comes around every day. You know, as a writer, you're looking for the best stories you can tell. I mean, there's no there's no better story than his story. I've, I've never had one. So mm-hmm. for me, it was like a gift to be able to meet David and to be involved. So, yeah. but the fact that he would do that, and that was just one uh, gesture of generosity that kind of cascaded over my entire uh, relationship while while spending time working with him. Uh, but it was a really great show of faith. And so from there, we just kind of went to, went to work and um, and, yeah. and did the hard work getting his story on on the page. Let's talk. Let's talk about the incredible amount of research and, and all these interviews that you did for the book. I understand. You know, you went to the Buds compound, right? And maybe for listeners who aren't I familiar, did. I did. Give us a little bit of background on that and what would that what that was like. I mean, because I'm sure that not a lot of people have done that. Yeah, Buds. Uh, Buds is the what you have to go through. It's the school, Navy Seal, Navy Seal School. So that's in Coronado, and that's where the basic training and basically it's basic training for seals but includes all, all sorts of different skill sets and includes hell week that's where hell week happens so that was kind of halfway through the research or maybe towards the towards the end of the research but um one of the people from his, one of his early platoons was running buds at that t- at that time and so his his dive partner i think from his first platoon uh had turned into to running buds and so we'd interviewed him and he invited me down to take a look. You know, and I, I kind of treated it like I would treat any uh, story that I'm working on. I obviously want to get on the ground and see as much of, of uh, a place as possible, see Coronado again with my own eyes. I've been there before, but I hadn't been there since working on this story or in this book. Uh, so I did that, kind of toured Coronado a little bit, saw the kind of the Navy SEAL bar everyone goes to after they graduate, saw, saw everything there was to see at, at the Bud's compound. Um, and it really did help inform it. But, you know, most of the research was done via phone interviews with David and with everybody that was in his story. And David was involved in every one of those interviews. So I'd, I'd talk, David set up the appointments and then we'd call in together hmm, and, cool. um, and then we would interview together. Yeah. Yeah. And were you, um, were you recording those? I was recording some of them. Um, early on, I was recording everything, but then I stopped. So it's, in some cases, I, I recorded, but most cases, uh, I got to the point where, 
you know, early on you, you want to record because you're just not, your fingers aren't in quite enough shape and your mm -hmm. mind isn't in shape to make sure you're getting everything. But once you start doing these day after day after day, um, you know, the good thing about writing a book is you don't have to necessarily get every word down right. You just have to get most of it. And, you know, and, and obviously if there's a quote that you want, you want to get all of that. Uh, but but I, uh, so early on we were recording them, but after a while I just started to take notes and let him go. And he was, it was almost like being on like a one man show. Uh, because when David tells his story, he goes, he feels it and he goes back into his mind. He prepares to tell yeah. you the story. And then it becomes like a person on stage giving a one man show. And, and so you can feel, you know, he gets paid pretty well to go and speak publicly at different events. Right. Um, and he's been telling his story in some fashion since he was in the Navy SEALs. So it's something he's been training to do um, in his own way. And so it was really remarkable to be able to sit on the phone for three or four hours. And, and obviously I would probe and I would, I would kind of guide the conversation uh, but to be able to get the detail we need, but it was kind of, it was very much a collaborative effort and, and he was, um, and the way he told the story was so riveting and his, his goglish, as he would say, his English, um, it was so <laughs> great. You're able yeah. to capture his voice. And so because I was able to listen to him for hours and hours, um, after the first couple chapters, it, me writing in his voice became second nature to me. It was always, it was always there. I could always tap into it to some level, but he, you know, he, he remarked that's kind of when he knew he, he that's why he wanted me on the project. Cause he knew I could capture his voice. And, um, and I was able to do that because I was, because we spent so much time on the phone and then also interviewing people. He was in Navy SEAL training with people, friends from childhood, his mother, his brother, um, you know, the, the, the person that started, launched and, and still runs Badwater, uh, the ultra marathon race, those mm -hmm. kinds of people. Yeah. Was that Kostman? Yeah. <laughs> Chris Kostman. Exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. Funny, funny. Okay. So you're doing hours and hours of, of phone interviews and then, mm. and then you, and then you're tasked with, with writing the book in full. Um, yep. and I, from what I understand, you were tapping Mr. Goggins quite a bit just to, you know, just to make sure that all the I's were dotted and T's were crossed. And what was that process like? So the writing process was, it was, um, it was different because, you know, when you're writing on your own process, you might go through a whole book, write a first draft, then go back through. That's how I did one breath. But with this book, you know, we did chapter by chapter. So I'd file yeah. each chapter, one chapter at a time. And I think we, yeah, so we, we filed one chapter at a time. And so starting with the first chapter all, all the way up, although I might have written the third chapter first, I'm, I'm having because originally Harper wanted the third chapter. To, they didn't want it chronological, but David and I both did. Anyway, I'd file one chapter at a time and that way we could kind of go over it. He'd have fixes and then we'd move to the next chapter. But uh, so that's how we would do it. I think that we interviewed wherever the interviews came up. But when it was time to write, that's what I was doing one chapter at a time. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, he, uh, I know he talked about you on Joe Rogan. Were you actually at the, on the second, with him? the second occasion? Yeah, the, yeah. 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 It was kind of funny cause he, he said you were yeah. a bug up his yeah. ass or something. Right. Like, something so, similar. so yeah. So, um, <laughs> so 
originally he'd come back with comments and then towards the end of the project um we were going over like the fine tooth comb stuff um i find my i i did you know he was kind of getting annoyed with me because i was kind of defending territory because it kind of like i felt like it was you know i was like arguing to keep stuff in that he might want to change slightly or vice versa um but you know you, what i've what i came to realize is that uh over over time i've come to realize this is that you know you at first when you're a young writer you kind of fight for all this territory but really things can change and the if the overall project is so solid and so good um a little change here or there doesn't affect it um but still sometimes i get a little bit tunnel vision and so i think he was talking about about yeah. my resistance <laughs> funny funny thanks so much for joining us for this file and if you're a fan of the show simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more that's writerfiles.fm <laughs>